0: Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boa Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkring to discuss market events while at the same time consuming and rating some beers that we haven't had before. Sam, how are you getting on? Uh, I'm getting on uh, quite well actually this week. Uh,
1: nothing to complain about. Uh, nothing's really changed, although uh, I, where I live it's we've obviously come out of lockdown and have gone into tier 3 which seems to be exactly the same as it was during lockdown and before it funnily enough um but nah everything's pretty good on my end
0: oh good 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 it does uh, these these tier 3 the tier 3 lockdown uh, well the tier 3 is just a lockdown i mean right i mean what is the actual difference from being yeah, I,
1: I think I think the differentiation between the different tiers is literally whether or not the pub can be open uh, because everything else is open now. Uh, the gyms are open, the cafes are open, the hair salons are open, the little high street, or at least my little local high street is bustling, all the supermarkets are fine. Everyone's pretty much going about their business as they would otherwise. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really no different. Oh, you just can't go to the pub. The pubs are shut. I feel sorry. I do. I genuinely feel sorry for the pubs. They've been really singled out for some unknown reason. Um, but it is. that's the old phrase that they love to, to repeat on those uh, reality TV shows. The intellectual high brow phrase that is. It is what it is. <laughs> so, I
0: mean, well, I look with forward- that in mind. Yeah, with with that in mind, it's a good thing that we've uh, that you are drinking on today's episode. Uh, you know, some true? beers that we have, uh, you know, that we have, but we've acquired, we've commissioned and acquired from a small brewery from Cheddar Ales, uh, which you know was was hit pretty hard by these lockdowns. I mean, they've, uh, they're it's a it's a business that yeah, I, I believe the brewer told me it was uh, they did eighty per, like eighty percent of their business used to be to pubs. And wow. obviously during the lockdown, I mean, they just got absolutely brutalised. But thankfully, they've got a good online store, uh, and uh, you know, they're they're getting through it. But uh, yeah, it's it's great to see that uh, it's great to see that you've got at least uh, some of these beers that we've had commissioned. Uh can, can you tell us about tell our listenership what you're drinking and uh, and what's in it?
1: Indeed. So these are, and and I've I've decided to go all in with with this episode. And I, I'm only consuming the beers that we commission through cheddar ales. And I, I will just before I, I go on a little bit further, I, I do want to uh, encourage everyone to support local industry like, um, you know, breweries like, like cheddar ales and others that might be local too. Cause they do, they've been absolutely smashed from pillar to post this year. Uh, and we've got to ensure that businesses like that continue to thrive, uh, not just in the UK, but across the world. So do your bit. Um, and uh, you know get online and, and order from some of these places to give them a bit of support now having said that uh, like you said I have I've actually got I think I've lost count I think it's five boxes of quantitative ease which is the name of the beer quantitative ease and as we've pointed out uh, a few episodes back now it's, it's celebrating 745 billion pounds and counting of money printing by the Bank of England uh, which of course means we have made it or oh, elected to make it a 7.4% double IPA. Um, it is the booze, booms, and busts' first beer. And um, we, we, I know you, you had some sent to, um, uh, to Nick O'Connor, who we work with at Southbank Research. And I just want to read out a testimonial uh, that Nick had. Uh, he had, a f- as he said to us in a little WhatsApp group chat, he had a few mates over the other night um, and got thoroughly eased. And both of his mates were a wreck the next day. I mean, if that doesn't tell you how good this beer is, then then nothing will. So I'm I'm I've like I said I've gone all in, and I'm having two of them on this episode. Um, by the end of it, I, I very I may very well be right up the scale of that cut, uh, <laughs> the, the the cut ratio from very quickly going from semi cut to half cut to fully cut, and then as Nick rightly uh, described thoroughly eased by the end thoroughly of this episode.
0: <laughs> well, I must say I'm very jealous. Uh, I, as, uh, you know, I'm still in Stockholm and, uh, of course, uh, you know, I, haven't had, I haven't had the beer shipped over here, so I have yet to have any of the quantitative ease that uh, you know, we've been working on for so long with cheddar ales, but all in, all in good time, and uh, I, have, I have bought a load of it. it is, uh, there are several cases of it waiting for me once I return, which I, and I probably shall be returning in the near future, so uh, probably by the time we have the next episode, uh, all being well, provided they don't send me to Gitmo at the airport. Uh, I'll be back in Scotland for for our next episode. So this will be my last my last weekend here in Stockholm for the moment. I am just heading back for Hogmanay, and depending on it all depends on what the government decides to do with lockdowns as to whether or not I stay in the UK um but we'll well you know we'll have to wait and see but i do have several cases of quantitative ease waiting for me and i'm looking forward to it for anybody listening who would like to buy some quantitative ease it shall be available a week on monday on the cheddar ales website so uh, Excellent. if you uh, if you are if you are wanting to get yourself some and they are in a limited quantity this is a trial run really uh, and though all of the reviews do seem to be coming back very positive i don't think i don't think uh, Everyone's just trying to make me feel better by saying that they taste good. I do. I do get the. Uh, do get the gist that uh, the people do like it. Um, but if you do want some, do go on to Cheddar Ales and buy some. Uh, we're not earning any money from this. There's no commission or anything like that. All the money is just going to Cheddar Ales. Uh, so uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I would. I would thoroughly recommend it because they're a great brewery. Uh, they make plenty of other good beers. It's the reason we we're working with them, and uh, yeah, they're they're just great folks. It's been great. Uh, great, uh, just working with them on this and uh, and allowing to you yeah, know, innovating and letting us you know come up with silly names like quantitative Ease. <laughs> but sam so te- so tell us well, what do you think of quantitative Ease? and you know you please be be as honest uh, as as you can be under the circumstances that you know it's a it's a project that both of us have Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel
1: like there's an element. It feels like I'm working in the uh, financial advice industry back in Australia again, under one of the um, major uh, financial institutions or, or banks. Is that feels uh, <laughs> you feel somewhat biased in uh, what you're oh, allowed your to own recommend? Own yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself an independent reviewer of uh, of this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, i'm also somewhat tempted to to refrain from any official rating on this until you've had a chance to consume and we can it's like on the count of three we both blurt out what our actual rating is at once right. and one of us will just probably end up going A, and the other one will be like it's like what oh, no no that's not how it's supposed to go <laughs> uh, but i will i will say that that straight off the bat that it's got a nice Uh, aroma to it Uh, I like Well, at least to me it had a bit of uh, a bit of fruity aroma but um, consuming the actual beer so far it's very cloudy Um, didn't get much I didn't get any any head formation on it when I poured it in so it's quite cloudy quite thick uh, but very easy to drink Um, a little uh, it's got a bit of bitterness to it which I actually quite like and and for some reason the word biscuity came into my head as I was drinking it so yeah, that probably doesn't help anybody with anything, but nonetheless, they're the, the things that first came to mind as I was uh, starting to down it. So hopefully we'll see what happens as I continue to work my way through what is effectively a liter of this stuff over the rest of this episode. <laughs> mm,
0: yeah, they do come in 500ml bottles, which is uh, which is a very positive thing, I think. I think that's uh, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good measurement to go through for beer. Personally, over here, I am still going for the Swedish beers, uh, I'm having another beer from Pang Pang. I believe I did have one of these on an earlier episode of Booms and Busts. Uh, this one is called, uh, well, in keeping with Pang Pang, uh, this is called IPA IPA, uh, <laughs> which is a, uh, a session IPA. It is, uh, we're again using that prefix. And uh, double dry hopped as well um, with mosaic cryo hops. It has quite, a, quite an interesting label, which is kind of like a creased fabric with sort of gray and pink dye on it but at the same time there's like a cat's tail that's being dyed with a pink as well and it's kind of the same color uh but yeah that's what that's what i'm on at the moment uh and sam moving on to moving on to the markets as uh, as we should be what is it that's uh, what's taking your fancy at the moment what uh what have you been looking at because it, <laughs> uh, it bitcoin is of course something that's relatively close to both our hearts uh, and, you know, I really must, we, you know, I probably should have said this earlier in the podcast, it's time for a proper congratulations, right? I mean, you are now a celebrity. You have been the target of a hit piece by the Financial Times. So, I mean, yeah. this, you know, yeah, this, is, this is big stuff. You've, uh, you know, the <laughs> destiny of celebrity has, has finally arisen in your life. And, uh, you know, you will now be uh, a villain. For the mainstream media it's great
1: i um I'm not exactly sure I'd call it a hit piece, or me the subject of it. I, I feel like I'm more like the collateral damage of of the wonderful piece uh in the financial Times of oh, the, the <laughs> fFt Alphaville, which was taking a, a pot at uh Nigel farage so, uh, uh, what was it uh, pivoting to crypto, I believe was the term that they used and they they did make mention of me because uh when was it? was it last week? I can't even remember what it was. I think it was I think it was last week I sat down in a 1 on 1 interview uh with Nigel Farage uh Mr Farage asking me the questions actually about uh Bitcoin and crypto. Obviously he he'd read my book um which I think a lot of people probably I uh, I would suspect that the FT Alphaville author probably neglected to to check was that the book was actually originally written uh almost 4 years ago now before the um crypto bros which i believe she also references came to the space um but but the thing i quite enjoyed was that um the the terminology frankly we've never heard of sam Volkering, and that's actually a compliment coming from the financial Times, because i would be quite worried if they had heard of me in great abundance um (laughs) being being well known in in uh, the financial times is not something i've ever aspired to achieve um because frankly they're um, a bit of a waste of space when it comes to financial news. But that's, I guess, just my personal opinion on it. And I'm sure plenty of others disagree, but it was nice. It was nice to get mentioned. I actually tweeted the author afterwards offering her uh, a copy of my book. I was going to send her a, a free hardback copy of my book, uh, which she didn't respond to, but she did like a response. Uh, somebody somebody uh, tweeted a a GIF meme uh, as a response to to my my tweet about the article, she liked that, but she she didn't uh respond in terms of the offer of of one of my books. So you know, I guess she's not that That's
0: interested. Quite in in light, light in I would learning. say. It's, quite polite. Yeah. I mean, it's a free book.
1: I mean, who wouldn't want one? I mean, you know what? I'll tell you what. Oh, and, and I'll um I'll send out a free copy. I've got a few here at home. I'll send out a free copy to one of our listeners. uh just. Tweet me uh, at the booze booms busts Twitter account uh, at booze booms busts uh, and I'll send you a free book I'm just going to give away one, so if ten people tweet in I'm still giving away one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but look you know so the thing about it right is um I expect that from the mainstream media they you know this this idea that you know Farage is pivoting to crypto as some sort of um, i don't know I I I I I know why they don't like him um but I think they neglect the fact that what's happening with bitcoin and crypto it's bigger than for the Mr Farage it's bigger than me it's bigger than the bloody financial times it's 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 a serious it's a serious opportunity it's a serious change it's serious technology and I think it's incredibly naive for people to dismiss it because somebody like Nigel Farage takes an interest in it. Um, I mean, it's the epitome of mainstream media really to just go in on the attack because someone they don't like has uh, has an interest in something that they probably don't like. And I feel like, and I've been thinking about this for a while now, it feels like a lot of people today, particularly journalists, uh, have ceased to understand the capacity for people to Uh, sit down and talk to one another, even though they might not necessarily agree with one another on a whole range of things. So you and I, for instance, Bars, we could could agree on some things and sit down and talk about them. We could vehemently disagree on a number of things as well and sit down and debate them and talk about them. We we do. do. This is exactly (laughs) what we do, right? This is what we do. And it doesn't diminish our view or respect of each other. And it feels like a lot of people out there if they disagree with somebody's view on something, then they single-handedly dismiss all their views. And I think the ability to agree to disagree on something and move forward uh, is a, a lost art form, I would suggest.
0: Yeah. I don't think there's a, a lot of interest in, in sort of construction as it were, you know, building on, yeah. on, uh, on shared common ground and things like that. It does seem like there, there's a certain level of, there's a lot of snark uh, with, large print media and what remains of print media you know the survivors of the of the the print media apocalypse uh <laughs> and those that remain there's a there's still a lot of elitism and you know it, it, it's interesting especially with crypto as well right you know crypto is it, it's not hard to draw uh to attack crypto right you know it's not mm. a it's not uh when you have you know when it is being well, there've been so many ICO scams, you know, exit scams, and all those things like that. Uh, and yeah, so much fraud has taken place. within it. It, it it is very easy to say all this is is fraud. I mean, just go onto the comment section of pretty much yeah, uh, you know, most news outlets when they're writing about it, and they'll you know they'll probably there's inevitably someone will just say tulips, uh, and then there's hmm. inevitably someone who's <laughs> saying, uh, well, it's just it can be hacked, and you know, yeah. there's all this. This, that and the other um, but at the same time I think it now is a very interesting time to be watching how uh, media institutions are speaking about crypto especially the financial ones like The Wall Street Journal uh, and the FT and um, you know, you you earlier said yeah they're uh, <laughs> there are a waste of space, and you know I think there's I think there's a fair amount in that. I think there's a fair amount of um, sort of an inflated sense of importance from these from these places. But it, it is interesting to see uh, sort of as the narrative changed somewhat when it comes to Bitcoin, because all these journos, uh were just following the um, the uh, the pronouncements on crypto from. Uh, the financial establishment. So they were just going to the big fund managers, the big economists, the big uh, you know the right, hedge yeah. fund guys, and they were just going to and they were just trusting whatever they said, whatever their view was, and bit on, on Bitcoin back in 2017, uh, and then they were loading up on it with you know their all of their ego and all of their um, you know all of their sort of elitism, right? Saying well, well I know sass. I'm right, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and you know I know i 'm right, so I can you know I can apply leverage to this view that crypto is not interesting, and I can just say it 's actually you know a gigantic fraud et etc et etc now however you 've got all of these guys within the financial establishment deciding having you know saying actually there 's probably some value in this uh, mm-hmm. and so you 're seeing this interesting uh, sort of turn within the media where uh you know the f t you know, not not long ago, it was a different author than the one that wrote your piece. Uh, was saying, you know, I finally, I finally have found, you know, to, you know, Bitcoin might actually have some value to it. Uh, yeah. You know, we're just you know, after all these years of uh, saying Bitcoin, you know, is, is not, uh, it, you know, it it doesn't have any application, uh, it doesn't scale, it's expensive, it's used by criminals, it's not anonymous. Uh, no, starting by they start by saying it is anonymous. And now it's, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. actually, it's not anonymous, it's not. et cetera, et cetera. I think there's something I, well, in that as well. I think, yeah, I, th- I just think it's interesting to see how the, 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 the narrative started to shift. So even though we yeah. don't give, uh, I, you, know, you know, you're never going to be ahead of the curve reading these publications. It is interesting to see how they react. Uh, Absolutely. Because they are, they, they are sort of the, what would it be, the? Sort of the the heralds of the narrative, right? They, these are the guys that um, you know, painted up and in bright colours and, and uh, plastered all over the place. So I think watching how these guys display information is is of value to me at least.
1: Yeah, and I look, I I think there's there's good things and bad things about that, right? So you're right. A lot of the a lot of the trusted financial go-to people are now starting to understand a little bit more about maybe the potential that this has. Uh, as a you know a global digital reserve unit, uh, and and the potential for industry and supply chains and economies to leverage off of that, and particularly in things like treasury management, when you see something like obviously MicroStrategy, uh, the listed company is one of them with run by Michael Saylor is one of the best examples of this because their primary reason for holding such a large amount of Bitcoin on their balance sheet is because he doesn't want the cash that they would hold on their balance sheet to be debased by 10 15 percent so in effect they're using bitcoin as a way to stop the erosion of the value of the company because of the actions of central banks so what what that does is that that that's kind of a that's a good thing that's an important development and and we will see more of that of, of companies holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet, not all their balance sheet, but a, a significant enough portion of it, I believe, in order to prevent the debasement of the fiat money that they would otherwise hold. Now, that's important to, to know. So that we're seeing now that that recognition start to shift the mindset of you know, the traditional financial people and, you know, those in the city and those at Wall Street and so forth. And that's then obviously starting to change a bit of the mainstream media voice because now they're going to those people and they're saying, yeah, like you say, you know, what do you think of this? And they go, well, actually, maybe it's more than you think. The danger is that those of us that have been around crypto long enough flip too quickly on these people and go, ah, you idiots, we told you so, you know, nothing. And being very adversarial uh, towards those that have come around and changed their mind. I've got no issue with somebody changing their mind. I've got no issue with somebody disliking Bitcoin if they've taken the time to understand it in a way uh, that it should be understood. And then they still form an opinion that they don't like it. That's fine. I've got no issue with that. The issue I have is those that will immediately slam it based on a superficial understanding of what's happening in the space its origins why it exists and why it's relevant today which tends to be uh some of the headline grabbing journalism that does take place around it so i'm all for sitting down with any journalist whether it be the person that wrote that article in the ft alphaville or anyone that wants to understand it a bit more which is why i offered to send her my book it wasn't being facetious or wasn't trying to be smart about it i was just like well read it because i think it would probably help you to understand it um, and so we've got to be careful that we don't push away the mainstream uh, when they start to come into the crypto space because that, again, it, it pits the crypto world against everything else. And I, uh, there's an element of that, but there's also an element that needs to be inclusive of everybody because of the potential to include everybody in a crypto economy. Um, so it's, it's delicate ground, but the good news is it's changing. And like we've said before, and actually, so we even conducted, obviously, our little crypto economy transfer when I needed to transfer you some uh, value for the, uh, for the quantitative ease boxes that were coming my way. And we did so because I, I sent you some Bitcoin for the boxes of uh, quantitative ease. So we did a little bit of crypto commerce. And my point is, is that when you have companies like MicroStrategy now holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet, my view has always been that long term, we'll see a whole bunch of companies accepting Bitcoin directly in their supply chain. So, for example, um, in order to prevent the debasement of the money that they hold in their accounts, somewhere like Cheddar Ails, for example, might hold a portion of Bitcoin. And so that in order to pay them for the production of quantitative ease. Uh, that transfer would be done in Bitcoin, which they would accept directly because they want to hold some on their balance sheet. And so the, all of a sudden, the whole process from, um, from the ingredients that go into it through to the, the creation, the supply, the delivery, uh, and the consumer purchases can all be paid in Bitcoin or in a, in a cryptocurrency because everywhere along that, that supply chain, people want that asset Uh, on their balance sheet and maybe longer term they want all their their wealth or all the treasury to be held in in crypto or in bitcoin that's a transition that takes a long time but we're starting to see the seeds be sown
0: today yeah it's an interesting uh, you're quite diplomatic about it and considering <laughs> your, your your interest in crypto does exceed mine, of course, and your expertise on it, we we have you know we have we have different views on you know Bitcoin and the and the broader digital asset space, and we you know we come together and we have discussion about it. I like to me, I you know I think trying to court, just trying to court uh, mainstream journalists, I I think it's something that they're just going to come around to at some point because they see that so much of the crowd, as it were, which is, you know, their clients, you know, the people, all of the, you know, the Black Rocks of the world. Um, and, you know, you, what was it? It was, uh, was it Larry Fink who was, um, he did a- That's right, who, yep. Larry Fink, the founder of BlackRock, was having a chat with Mark Carney where he was talking about Bitcoin. Um, you know, today, 2020, right? It isn't 2017 anymore. <laughs> I wasn't being dismissive of it as a bubble either which I, which I thought was very interesting uh, and was simply saying you know there is a huge amount of interest with this people are excited about it maybe there's something there's something going on uh, you know I think I think you know the the uh, try, I don't think we should bother well I say we you know I, I don't I don't I don't think you need to try and appease these these journals ultimately uh, because they're gonna they're gonna be dragged along for the ride and they're gonna have to change their tune eventually. there was a great uh you know someone was saying the other day um it was just amongst the on crypto twitter broadly where uh it was just that someone was giving an example of a quote where it was like, oh I was never against bitcoin no 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 i uh, i I just had a very nuanced view right, and you can really see that how that could become the uh, the the slogan amongst the chattering classes was that, you know, in 2017, it was, uh, no, Bitcoin's a massive, you know, uh, fraud and a scam. But blockchain, blockchain technology. <laughs> <Yes. that. laughs> and now it's, oh, no, 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 oh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, I, I was never against Bitcoin. I just had some, you know, some nuanced views. I had some reservations about it. You, know, you can oh, really man. see how that that could take off. And so, you know, the, like the, the people who, who, who aren't... Uh, and it's fine to have if you if you generally know what you're talking about, uh, and you actually you know you 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 read up on you read Satoshi's white paper, you see mm. you know some of those original you, you read the original you know forum blogs where they were just talking about the creation of it. Um, uh, I think how-
1: I think that actually what you what you bring that up I think that is one of the great things for people to read to really understand the core origins that that those um, that cypherpunk email thread between all those cryptography guys uh, going back before the Genesis block in 2009 of Bitcoin. So this is going back to 2008 when they were just talking about the creation of it uh, as e-cash, Bitcoin e-cash. I'll post a link to the Nakamoto Institute, which has all those threads and the responses. And it is absolutely worth taking the time to read through. It gives you such a great depth of knowledge as to the origins of it all. Uh, I highly recommend it for everyone to read to get some entry level understanding of, of why it was created um i think and i'll I'll post that on our uh, on our twitter page
0: yeah that'd be that'd be magnificent I and mean, you know i i want to reread some of this stuff now it just uh, it was almost like well it's almost i mean it effectively is a form of nostalgia for that those original guys who were who were figuring the whole thing out um it's like yeah, reading.
1: Yeah. It's it's like reading a. Uh, it's like reading an original manuscript of 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 an all time classic, or or that's you know being you know revised and you know create movies being made of something, like or or like, like the. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I hate the the, the, the Magna Carta because idiots start ref- using it now in lockdown to say, "Do a Magna Carta, I can open." But it's like reading, you know, the, the original Magna Carta or something like that. There's there's an element of historic nature to those original email threads that I don't think will ever really be um, supplanted.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I've just finished my IPA IPA, the Session Double Dry Hopped IPA from Pang Pang. Uh, And I must say, this was actually a very good beer. Oh, hello.
1: Uh, A a Swedish beer that's very good, it.
0: Uh, indeed. I mean, you know, I, I must say, you know, Sweden has not massive delivered when it comes to the the beer department, but there have been some very nice ones. Uh, but uh, maybe, you know, so far, so far, and, you know, I will be going through quite a few more beers before I'm done with Sweden before I, before I leave Stockholm. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are, uh, this one is, this one does stand a fair bit, actually, above some of the others I've had. Uh, another thing I just realized. Now this is uh, the brewery is Pang Pang, the name is IPA IPA. I've just realised that it's four point four percent and it's also forty four cl. So I mean they're oh, just wow. all about doubling up here. Um, but no, this was this is very good actually. I'm going to give this one. I'm going to be, I'm going to give this one a B plus actually. Um, <sighs> and for any any new listeners, by the way, uh, just in terms of our our rating system, I do need to create an infographic for this. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> it's a big infographic. Rating. Yeah, our our double inverse pyramid thing. Well, our our, our half inverse pir- double pyramid, uh, where triple B is the best, down to double B, single B. Uh, triple A is the worst, and in the middle, you know, above triple A, there's double A and single A, and that's when you, you know, so so all the way from top triple B, double B, single B, single A, double A, triple A, uh, with pluses and minuses all, all the way through. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to give this one a B plus. Uh, this is, excellent. This is good. Pang IPA IPA.
1: Now, I I wanted to talk about something else actually that I um I kind of I kind of caught last night as I was uh, half falling asleep. I I just switched off. I, I've I've started watching this really cool like uh, animated French movie from 1973 called Fantastic Planet about these giants um, that keep the that keep tiny humans as pets. It's a fascinating weird but extraordinarily captivating uh, animated movie uh but as i switched that off i, I noticed something pop up in a in a, a news feed that the united nations have released an announcement that they are effectively downgrading uh the the significance or the seriousness or the danger of cannabis so uh, cannabis used to be designated as, as like, you know, up there as, as dangerous as, as heroin. And the United Nations pretty much overnight have said that they uh, consider cannabis to be less dangerous <laughs> than, uh, than, than those serious uh, uh, drugs. So it's officially being recognized now as a medicine by the United Nations And that's significant. That's like a really significant move because it now starts to really open the door again for for cannabis to be seriously used in medicinal research, uh, drug development. And considering how important drug development has been this year, um, I find it really interesting the timing of their release uh, in, in recognising cannabis as a, as a medicine rather than a dangerous narcotic. Hmm.
0: Well, that's a... Yeah, that is interesting that the UN... What, like, what's the name for those guidelines that they've got? The, those uh, sort of standards that they keep? Uh, so
1: the official, the official UN uh, news release um, says the UN Commission reclassifies cannabis no longer considered a risky narcotic. Um, so they're removing this is what, this is what it says at least in reviewing a series of world health organization recommendations on marijuana and its derivatives. The CND zeroed in on the decision to remove cannabis from schedule four of the 1961 single convention on narcotic drugs, where it was listed alongside deadly addictive opioids, including heroin. So up until up until now, basically uh, it's it's been classified as 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 bad as heroin. Now we all very very much know that that's not the case, um, and now they've finally decided to actually concur with that 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 quite popular global view now and recognise that it's got real medicinal purposes.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I in in recent history we've seen. Uh, uh, you know, Chinese representatives at the UN, representatives of the CCP, uh, accusing other nations of human rights abuses uh, in the UN uh, and, you know, forming their lobby with other human rights abusers uh, in order to decry America's human rights abuses. And I and I found it really quite uh, sickening. And I, well, I think it, I find it quite, I, I feel it rejects uh, the, or it, it devalues the sort of status of the UN in, yep, in what it's meant to be and what it was. What you know? How how can you put faith in this institution when the, such a farce is on uh, such a massive display? Uh, but it is interesting that that's happened in terms of the uh, the manner in which uh, you know the the bureaucratic sort of system by which that thing gets changed. I mean, do you know which uh, countries and which uh, like representatives were lobbying for that?
1: Uh, I, I don't. What it does note is it wasn't. It wasn't by all means a uh, a, a clear majority of the vote. The vote says that uh, it was twenty seven in favour, twenty five against, and one abstention. So it's only just snuck through this. But nonetheless, it's 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 got through anyway. And I, I, look, I agree. I think I think the the UN, the WHO, are somewhat. This, they're somewhat irrelevant, but at the same time, quite relevant. I know that's somewhat contradictory. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But but you're right. They're they're, uh, they're hypocritical. Uh, they they absolutely are almost just like a. Um, I can't remember what the term is exactly, but you know they they're just a figure piece really, um, for for levels of bureaucracy that really aren't necessary. Um, But nonetheless, they, when, when you see news that the UN or the world health organization, you know, these purported global representative organizations making, you know, significant moves like this, then it starts to, I mean, whether we like it or not, there are a number of countries that, that uh, abide by the rules and regulations and, and guidance of these organizations. And I think that's, that's, that's significant enough. To warrant uh, it being a pretty pretty big deal, and because the, the reason I also bring it up is because then a, a number of a number of the uh, cannabis stocks started firing off. I mean, I, I know I was looking at the Aussie ASX market um, this morning when I got up because it closes as I wake up, and you know, just about every like the out of the top twenty performing stocks uh, of the day. It's like half of them were were cannabis stocks, medicinal cannabis stocks. Uh, same on the on the Toronto Stock Exchange, the Canada Stock Exchange. You know, we're talking double digit gains in a day because of the UN's decision. And it, you know, we went through a period about a year and a half, two years ago, where there was a, you know a incredible excitement around uh, the cannabis stocks and the opportunity with with cannabis as medicinal purposes and recreational purposes. And it, you know, the the excitement probably preceded the the road to you know a world where it is it is very much seen as as a medical and medicinal therapeutic uh, avenue. But it's that it's I guess it's that hype cycle all over. Is that you know that initial peak, then the fall off, and now the realization and, and the, the the gradual acceptance of it, and then the progress towards it being somewhat of a ubiquitous uh, part of I guess. Medicine and, and our everyday life, so it's an interesting thing that it's like, oh, yeah. like when Pfizer announces they've got a vaccine and the market shoots up. You know, there are still, you know, are other things happening in the world that aren't COVID nineteen related, uh, like you know, like this that are still moving sections of the market that I think you know people really need to be attuned to as well.
0: Yeah, I and you know, I don't, I, I probably shouldn't. Uh, I, I'll try not to. You know, don't want to come off the wrong way. Uh, I mean, I agree with you that the UN is relevant, but irrelevant at the same time.
1: I, for me, it's just
0: like, you know, I don't, I, it's more like I don't care what the UN says about this, because the UN can be, you know, the UN can uh, declare something and it won't, you know, won't make any any difference. Uh, you know, with the human rights abuses, for example, uh, you know, China lobbying, uh among other human rights abusers to label America as a human rights abuser. I, you know, it's, 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 it's just a farce. And to some degree with, uh, you know, with, with the, uh, you know, designating cannabis as something that's not as bad as heroin, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a similar <laughs> thing. It's still long to do this. Right. Uh, but I, yeah. but I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's still a, a platform, still a stage where people with power and influence uh, get together and that's why it's something you should pay attention to. So in that regard, it is, you know, there are, you know, that, that is a, an indication. I would love to know which, which country abstained from the vote. Uh, yeah, I sh-
1: I'll, I'll, I'll try and find out.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. That, when you when you talk about the grand sort of cannabis bubble, well, well it, was it a bubble? I mean, it, if it reflates two years later, I mean, <laughs> what's the what uh, what 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 would be the best description of uh, of a market being too forward looking and then suddenly suddenly collapsing? Well, if we're
1: talking about forward-looking, just look at the Tesla stock price as it continues to go higher. And I even saw today that apparently Elon Musk at some awards ceremony in G- in Germany said that its stock price was still too high. So, and if I, I I I haven't actually checked Tesla's performance today, but if he comes out and says it's still too high, it's probably going to go up again. Yep, up five percent for today. Yep, almost almost six hundred dollars.
0: That S and P inclusion, mate. will that'll uh, <laughs> it'll do wonders for your stock. It's crazy because, you know, Tesla was such a it was, you know, the the pride and joy of the NASDAQ and then and then it gets included in the S&P. And it's, uh, you know, that's sort of the big boys club to some degree. uh, And you get all that passive flow. But it will be, I I think, in terms of the, you know, the the 2020 tech rally, the 2020 growth stock rally, uh, I was writing about it today uh, for uh, uh for you know a, a monthly issue mm-hmm. and just the pro i think the best example of how we've had a stock melt up this year you know the sort of the the snow capped peak on the melt up is elon musk making it to second richest person and Tesla making it to the S and P at a half trillion dollar valuation. I think that's the, uh, I think that's what makes it for me. Like I, I think when, you know, the history books are written about this period when someone writes of so financial history of the 2020s, this all, that would, that will definitely be, you know, that it'll get its own chapter that bit. Um, it does seem, it does seem quite remarkable, quite remarkable indeed. When you're, you know, looking at, uh, You know, we've got this grand tech trade this year, grand growth stock trade this year, uh, and we're looking at a reopening of the economy next year. What? How do you think that's going to play into it, right? How do you think? You've said, uh, and in fact, if memory serves you, uh, uh, did you short? Was it the Nasdaq you shorted a couple of episodes ago? Uh,
1: Yeah, I I shorted the Nasdaq 100. Uh and it's been a bit of a flat trade for me. So I went I, I went out of the position. Right. Um but uh and just and just moved it into some individual stocks. Uh but I I I still I I still believe so there's one thing that's always a constant and and, and particularly more relevant in today's age. And what I think what 2020 is also emphasized is is this point is that the acceleration and speed at which we can develop new technologies has never been as fast as it is today. And that's, that's definitely emphasized by the capacity for the biotechnology and big pharma community to unify, mobilize, and all work towards one very distinct specific outcome with very little regulatory hurdles in their way. And in nine months, they've created a vaccine for a coronavirus. Now, that's, that speed has never been before. It's so fast that people now don't trust it because it's happened so fast. But that's just stupid. <laughs> it doesn't The speed of it is, 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 is... And trusting it due to its speed is, is the most ridiculous point in the world. It's showing us that things can be done when focus is applied in the right way in the right manner and so we know that things from a technology point of view are are going to continue to increase computing power will increase but get smaller and consume less power Uh, and we know that we're moving towards a world of quantum state computing uh, and quantum processing uh, and 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 possibly a whole bunch of other advanced technologies that are coming at us much faster than than we probably realize so i don't I don't see there being a lull in tech so to speak however, having said that I don't believe i still really struggle with how the market prices in a lot of the future developments. And I, I I just battle with the earnings that some of these companies make and the forward PEs that they trade at relative to a lot of the other market, uh, which is doing just as exciting things, but because they're not necessarily household names or they're not big tech, they may be somewhat fall to the wayside but i think that creates a disparity of opportunity as i think that you will find returns in big tech long term but not at the rate that we've seen in the last 5 years so i would be if you it's 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 catch to too. i think i don't think that i still think there's going to be a wind off of the value of a lot of the nasdaq 100 I still think there's a good 20% to come out of it. But even 20% to come out of it, it's only going to take, you know, a company like Amazon to about like, it's still going to be worth more than a trillion dollars. Um, so, you know, I remember not that long ago when Apple broke a trillion dollars and then everyone was like, Oh my God, it's mental. And now, you know, Amazon's a $1.6 trillion company by market cap now. Um, you know knock knock 20 off that and it's still more than a trillion dollars i think if my math is correct <laughs> but so there's you know we're still talking about massive companies but a lot of I, I see and this is another maybe you know longer conversation but i think a lot of those values has to be related to um quantitative easing right back to our, it's it's to our beer it's, it's almost like the inflation inflation is being felt in the market before it's being felt in consumer goods and, uh, and services.
0: Yeah. There's the, the, the asset price inflation is, uh, you know, it just continues to be, to be present, you know, when it comes to uh, the, the, the richness of these companies, I saw uh, it was an interesting chart the other day. I'll see if I can find it, which was just taking a look at Amazon's um, employment (laughs) effectively and just how many people they had hired this year. Yeah, and you're yeah, talking yeah. hundreds of thousands of people uh, have been, mm. you know, just been added to the workforce. I think the well, total, and, and
1: every year as well. Remember over Christmas period, they ramp up again to ensure that all deliveries get, uh, get processed yep. and done.
0: Yeah. I think the total I do, I could be wrong, but I think the total was the total workforce like, uh, um, yeah, hold on. Yeah. So it's added yeah it's added 50% it's it's the employ the workforce has increased by 50% in a year uh considering the scale that amazon was already at a year ago well, that is it, is,
1: isn't, doesn't that put them over like a million employees
0: yeah 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 so it's uh, so it's up 427,300 employees in 10 months uh which you know just it's it's hard to comprehend just what that Yeah, what what is actually happening? There's such a such scale, is being applied from a single company, and it's yeah. I think a lot
1: a lot of people forget how how much Amazon okay they get a. I don't get me wrong. I I have no doubt, and we know they're not the ideal. um, You know, when you're that big, they're not the ideal employer in terms of a whole bunch of things. (laughs) But a million people they help. employ uh not always the greatest conditions and and not always the greatest pay but it's still a million people that they employ um that's that's that that's like for some countries that's like employing their entire working age population with one company i mean you people people decry capitalism but you can't deny how significant they are in contributing to people just earning a living
0: yeah, there's a uh, it it it's something that I think often goes on. Well, I think often goes unsaid when it comes to the political discourse on the likes of Amazon. From those who decry it as being a terrible business that is exploiting vast amounts of the population, it is destroying the main street. It is. Um, uh, you know all manner of things even things like when it comes to you know producing its own products that are knockoffs of products that have been sold on its platform you know all of these all of these complaints that get levied against amazon uh, i think the the sheer scale of the number of people whose livelihood depends on amazon giving them a paycheck mm. is, uh, and you know foregoing paying dividends <laughs> uh, is is i think that's quite underreported just the and when you think of a company that is, has hired four hundred thousand people just in the last ten months,
1: yeah, it's uh, a
0: it's, that's a lot of livelihoods. That's a lot of families. Uh, that's a lot of people who are relying on uh, you know, Bezos and yeah. maintaining his operation. And uh, let's not
1: forget that a lot of those people that they would have brought on have probably been laid off or furloughed, or you know, from other industry which have been shut down. Because of decisions made by government, and may have really been in an even worse situation had it not been for a company like Amazon to pick up that slack now i don't also don't want to sound like it was just you know Amazon fanboys here either, but you like you said four hundred odd thousand people that's just it's significant and doesn't i don't think you're right i don't think the appreciation is given as much as it should be
0: yeah it, amazon is a Something of an enigma, I think. I don't. Mm. I've not found somebody who's ultimately described what Amazon is in a way that feels completely, uh, you know, it feels like a perfect representation of what the company represents. That ha- is a, is a business with, I'm not sure we really know what its nature is yet. Uh, though, well, well there may be some people doing. I'm simply ignorant of of their views. Um, but when you consider the number of things that it wants to do, mm. still, what it's already achieved and the kind of businesses that it's, ha- you know, it's happy trying to get massive contracts from the Pentagon to run their, you know, their cloud computing services, uh, while at the same time wanting to offer a marketplace that allows people to sell their own goods at a cheap, you know, cheap cost. Uh, and at the same time, you know, wants to bring e-commerce to India and things like that. Well, not just e-commerce, but, you know, Amazon's brand of e-commerce to India. Uh, all this, you know, it's it's this organization that had of, of a colossal scale that I don't think, and you know, when you, yeah, I, I don't think we really understand that well. And when you consider that Bezos himself deliberately distances himself from board meetings a lot but he you, you know wants to not be where the decisions are being made for the day-to-day stuff so he can concentrate mm. on the long-term strategy it makes you kind of think well what's you know what what is amazon and what is jeff bezos because you hear a lot of people think of, just can put them together and say you know amazon is lobbying dc uh in the you know with the same paychecks you know the same size of paycheck that wall street was doing uh, you know 20 years ago right there's a that, you know, Silicon Valley lobbies Wall Street. Uh, no, so, sorry, Silicon Valley lobbies Washington now more than you know. They pay more to <laughs> in lobbying costs than Wall Street does, and Amazon's a big part of that. You know what? Uh, but people say, "Oh, well, this is Bezos that's doing it." But like the the organization has like a sentience of its own. I mean, there is yeah. a league of people, each with their own personal ambitions uh, and their own desires to achieve them. And Bezos is just a figure, and if he's wanting to be, he wants to stay away from the organization for all of the the short term riffraff. Like, what is like, what is the organization ultimately going to do? Like what, yeah, what, what's yeah, the end what game? Exactly. What's the uh, what's the next? I mean, they're probably. I guess you know, I imagine they uh, they they follow some kind of infinite game, uh, you know, strategy where they're trying where there's no actual end to it other than. Uh, we just keep on growing the business, and r- relentlessly refusing to pay shareholders a dividend, and just <laughs> <laughs> R and D growing the business again.
1: It's a but fair question.
0: Yeah. What like what is the actual nature of Amazon? I don't. Well, because they've they've got
1: projects like the project um, uh, Cupa or Kuipo or however you fucking pronounce it. I can't remember. I don't know. Cupia, uh, which is uh, satellite internet, right? which which for me when 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 they talk about putting satellites up in space to uh create network into areas that uh typically can't get access to internet or have got very poor internet connections that to me that seems like the end game is to build the ultimate network and that consists of the foundation of 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 digital communications and networking. But then that subsequent to that seems to be logistics and transportation. And I feel like that Amazon's push is it's almost like their end game is to to connect everyone or at least give everyone everywhere the capacity to connect. And 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 not just connect, but then to participate in commerce. So, you know, no matter where you go in the world and you can go to some of the, the poorest countries in the world, there's always going to be forms of commerce, be it a market stall or a, or a, or a flea market somewhere, or whether it's a, a, a stock exchange in and in a huge stock market, or whether it's just um, a community, you know, trying to organize a a, a christmas light switching on or something like that there's there's markets and there's commerce that occurs everywhere it's almost the one thing that every single nation no matter what your economic or socioeconomic level participates in everyone participates in a form of commerce one way or another working to earn delivering a good or a service somewhere and it feels like amazon is trying to ensure that everyone can connect to participate in commerce but drag everybody up to a point that they can do it in an easier uh, and more connected way and access other parts of the world they perhaps couldn't access before. But of course, with the underlying goal that Amazon benefits from that as a company overall. I mean, they're they're a listed company, so their priority is to return uh, benefit to, to stockholders. So there's an element of greed and capitalism about it, but also I believe there probably is a bit of an altruistic Nature behind it to connect everyone into commerce. And interestingly, I I get the feeling that you'll start to see Amazon maybe eyeing up companies like Etsy uh, in the near future or even eBay uh, and looking to bring more of the bespoke and I guess independent marketplaces to Amazon's platforms. I think that could be their next big leap forward. I, just as a separate topic, something else that I maybe we'll talk about in another, another time about this is that uh, Amazon are increasingly getting more involved in streaming of live sports, be it the Autumn Internationals with rugby and a lot of the Premier League going into the end of this year. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Is I believe that in the near future, you'll see Amazon exclusively with all Premier League games. Um, I just want to put that on the record <laughs> for the time being.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, when you, when you describe it that way with their, their ambitions, uh, Sam, it is ironic that we did start this, uh, conversation with Bitcoin and, uh, or we will start it exactly, but you know, we've got close enough to it. And, uh, what you describe, it sounds like the Amazon is trying to pioneer a, a digital silk road. Uh, when it comes yeah, to yeah. you know paving paving the way for commerce in uh, emerging and frontier markets and the less developed nations, which I think you know considering the uh, well Bitcoin's early early origins with the uh, the Silk Road website, it does seem like a an apt way to uh, to bookend this podcast as we have been going on for a little while. Uh, I My second beer, I didn't I didn't announce it so much, uh, was uh, Omnipolo, uh, which is a brewer you can, it is available in the UK, uh, and I actually don't like their stuff most of the time in the UK. They're, uh, <laughs> they're one of the breweries I'm not a, a huge fan of, but they are actually originally from Sweden, so I'm now getting it in Sweden. And this one is called uh, Fata Morgana, and it's an imperial IPA, so it's uh, 8%. And uh, yeah, I would say it's it's all right actually. Uh, this one of uh, of the omnipolars I've had, this one's pretty good. Uh, it is, it's got a pretty aesthetic bottle with sort of a sunrise going over a uh, uh, over the over the ocean, but uh, on it, it's a clear thing, so you don't actually have a label. It's just been somehow embossed or painted onto the bottle. And yeah, it's uh, this was not a bad beer. I think I would give this one an A plus. That'd be my that'd be my rating. Uh, I'd ask you for yours, Sam, but you it's are not of coming. Course, it's enjoying not coming. The, uh, the quantitative ease, <laughs> you are thoroughly eased by this point, as you're on your second one. Look, I'm
1: imagine. I'm going to say I I am very much enjoying it. Uh, I've I've been talking a lot, so I haven't completely finished this one. But I, without being, I know this might sound biased, but I, I it's actually a very easy beer to drink, considering it's 7.4 um, percent. And uh, Nick, Nick's mates must be lightweights. But um no look, I'm I'm gonna reserve my official rating uh until because your imminent return to the UK means that you're you're on the verge of consuming uh several as well. So perhaps uh if if by our next podcast you have uh or maybe maybe for the next one you'll be consuming these and then we can get an official rating up on the board. Uh as yet, no beer has ever achieved our official triple B rating. it's 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 a it's a possibly a, a feat too high for most beers. Perhaps it's it's like the the greatest song in the world is it will never be heard ever really. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, it's been very nice to drink, and and I will withhold. I, I choose to abstain from providing a rating this week.
0: Well, that is uh, that's very honourable of you. I uh, I very much look forward to trying quantitative ease for myself you are listening to this, uh, I am confident that you will like it. It's, it's not being sold yeah. for a, you know, an extortionate cost either. We're not. People no,
1: will like it. I'm certain of that.
0: Yeah. For the, for the ABV and considering it's uh, 500 mils, I think uh, I think it's going to go for a very affordable price indeed. Uh, and so do check out Cheddar Ales and see see what they're uh, see what they're brewing uh but yeah i the next episode i shall be back in the uk and uh, i will have some quantitative ease myself but in the meantime uh, i hope if you're listening to this that you are having a good time having some good some good beers to uh to uh, keep you over the weekend with and we shall be back with episode 25 25 uh in you know just a, a short period of time so we'll see you then